All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Glad you're here. And, uh, you know, I used to wonder when I was a kid, uh, could they see us? When I was watching TV, I asked my mother one time, I was just maybe five or six years old, I said, can they see me? You know, can, can, can they see me? Because I, I only had like my underwear on. And I was ready to go in and get, a, get, get pajamas on or something. Well, I can't see you. I can only imagine, you know, the different states in which people are kind of watching us. Some may be in bed. Some may be in the living room. Some may be uh, in the kitchen. Some may be doing a variety of different things. But, hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, good things are happening. God is still able to speak in a wonderful way, in a powerful way. Great to be here with Pastor Keith Deal and his whole team and uh, I just counted, there's nine of us here, so we've met the, we've met the 10 threshold, and so we're doing all right. And, um, but good to be here in Tyrone, Pennsylvania, here at Community Worship Center. And so I, I'm going to just take some time and share with you some stuff today. And um, I just want to tell you that I, I admit it now, I, I, I'm willing to admit it now that we have some problems. And they say the first step to recovery is what? Admitting you have a problem, right? So I admit it. I, we, we've got some problems. Um, this is a test of the emergency broadcast system, that annoying sound that comes over your TV or your radio from time to time that had to do with uh, maybe a, a, an attack or a nuclear attack. And, this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. Very annoying. Well, you know what? When you get into a real circumstance that's difficult and it's troublesome, it can be incredibly annoying, and it is a test. But it's a test we can pass. It's a test we can handle. We are being tested. You know, it's an interesting. In the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 8, Paul says this, We are pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. This is interesting because this reminds me when I got married. I was uh, perplexed, but not in despair. I, I, there was a lot of things, and, and frankly, I'm almost 40 years married, and there's still a lot of things that perplex me, but I'm not in despair. Uh, last uh, September, September 29th, 28th, actually, I was in Los Angeles, and I was going from the Los Angeles International Airport up to the university that I'm just concluding attending, and uh, I had to get off the train, didn't know what I was doing, got lured away by some folks. Finally, I, uh, as I, they, they told me, oh, no, you need to go up here. This is where you need to be. This is how you, they were, we were forced off the train because they were working on the tracks, and another bus was supposed to pick us up, and I ended up, I was in Watts, which is a more dangerous area of Los Angeles, and some folks lured me away and said, it's over here. And once they got me down this street, well, you know what happened. Uh, I got mugged and got slightly injured, and, and uh, I was relieved of some of my valuables. And I immediately began to despair. And I remember uh, after I was able to find some police officers and get uh, uh, some help, and they did all kinds of interviews, and they sent people out to try to find the individuals that did this, and they were kind of unsuccessful, at least at first. And, but I remember just feeling like, man, I am alone. I, this is not good. And then finally the officer came to me and said, you know what, go ahead, you can leave. And I remember looking at him and saying, yeah, I can leave, but what do I do? I do not have a credit card. I do not have any cash. I do not have a phone. I don't have any ability to get to where I'm going. How, what am I going to do? 
I, I, I was literally all alone in this huge city. Now, I knew a couple of people in Los Angeles, but they were people that were flying in just like I was from various places in the world. So I'm going, man, what am I going to do? And I felt despair. And I felt like, how am I going to handle this? Despair can set in in an instant. It can be something that continually grows over time, or it can be instantaneous. But boy, when it sets in, it seems like it's a quagmire out of which you cannot recover. And that's what I was really, really feeling. I was feeling that way. Do you know that there's one biblical response to despair? The biblical response to despair is to believe, is to, in the face of it, see something different than you now see. See yourself as recovering. I remember that night when I got, and I had to, you know, had to, finally a police officer drove me an hour to where I was going and to the hotel and going into a hotel with no credit card, no identification, nothing. And I had to have the police officer come in and explain that I'd been a victim of a strong arm robbery. And, and so they said, well, yeah, we'll let him stay, but, you know, he's going to have to, you know, find a way to pay us. And, and uh, I did business with my family and they helped me. My dear wife helped me. And she happened to be away from our home at that time in another state. And so it was all very, very complicated. And, and, I, and I just remember, uh, as we were coming kind of around this situation, I had to begin to believe that I was going to get out of it. And this gentleman showed up. He was from India, and he was a, a student at the university. And he came over, and he gave me $30. Man, I was living high, 30 bucks in Los Angeles. And so I was having a good old time with my $30. I had, still had no ID, still had nothing. Somebody said, well, just get them to send you money on Western Union. You have to have ID to get money off of Western Union. Oh, but you can use a password. Well, the ones that we were using didn't have a password. And so I had my $30, and I went down the street and walked those streets again. And I said, you know what? I'm going to face my fear. I'm going to walk down the street, find something to eat. And uh, then I had, uh, then I had, I think, $17 after that. And then the next day I get up and I went and preached somewhere and the Lord provided and away we went. But I tell you one, one thing, friends, when despair sets in, it can be crippling. But what I also know is that when you begin to believe that God is going to get you, I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me as I walked down the street, you need to forgive, you need to love, you need to, you need to walk in faith now. I will take care of you. And so the whole deal here, friends, is this, is that it's, it's not faith in faith. It's not believing in believing. Some people say, well, I have faith. Listen, friends, if faith is not the object, faith is the means to that one who will help us. And God is the object of our affection. He is the one toward whom we turn. He is the one that we look to and we say, God, you and you alone are the one that's going to get me. It's not my faith that gets me out of things. It's not praying that gets me out of things. It is God who answers my prayer when I pray. It is God in whom I have faith, and he responds to me. That's the God we serve. Well, you know, it's interesting. From a child, we listened to one scripture over and over and over again, and we studied it. It's a simple scripture. Many of you know it. If you know it, say it with me. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The thing that got me out of darkness into light, that which took me out of slavery into freedom, that which delivers me from the power and the dominion of evil into the goodness and the glory of God is believing. It is believing him. 
And so I want to encourage you today, understand that you cannot be right with God without starting with a premise that I'm going to believe God for who he says. Listen, I'm going to believe that he came. I'm going to believe that he died. I'm going to believe that he rose, he was buried and he died, he was buried and he rose again and he ascended into heaven. I'm going to believe that he's coming back again. Listen to me, friends. That's what the scripture says. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever, that Jesus is the one in whom I believe. But here's the amazing fact, is that we have believers who don't believe. It's amazing. It seems contradictory. It seems like it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a paradox. How can you have a, a, a believer who doesn't believe? By virtue of that, they're really not believers. It's amazing that you have people who call themselves believers who do not believe who do not have a faith that God is going to work on their behalf, that he's going to minister to them. This is amazing. But you know what? There are believers. If you would ask them, well, do you believe Jesus came? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Yes. He, did he, did he, did he, was he buried? Did he rise again? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, we believe all that. Well, do you believe he can now help you? Well, I'm not so sure. Things are really rough. You don't understand the situation you're in. You see, you can't have right relationship without, with, God, with God without believing, but you can't continue to serve God without continuing to believe. If you're saved by believing, then you live by believing. You live by believing Him. And so the antidote to despair is belief. It's interesting. The greatest compliment you can give God is to say, God, I believe you. You want to compliment God? You want to worship God? You, somebody say, oh, I just love the worship. Well, would you every day get up in, in the morning and say, God, I believe what your word says. God, I will respond in obedience to what your word says. Somebody says, what is believing anyway? Believing is evidenced by you obeying God. And so I encourage you today to say to yourself, I'm going to compliment God today. And how am I going to compliment him? I am going to believe him. And I'm not going to insult God today by saying, God, I don't believe you. Listen, every one of us, when, some, when we're talking to somebody, interacting, no one likes to be uh, mistrusted. No one likes to have others look to them and say, you know what, I don't believe them. No one likes to hear said to them, I don't believe what you're saying. You're, you're lying. And yet many of us live that way toward God. We don't believe that he says we don't believe what he says will actually come to pass. And I'm here to tell you, hey, let's begin with a premise that God's word is true. And not only is it true, he will do what he says he's going to do. And you can trust him. You can take it to the bank, as my wife sometimes says. So have you been in despair? Are you in despair? I've been in despair. I described a few minutes ago uh, being in despair in Los Angeles last September. Uh, I, I remember being in despair uh, many years ago now when our daughter, who's uh, 30-some years old, she, she and I were in the mall together with our family, and we were a long way from home. And you know what? Uh, somehow, it was my responsibility to take care of her. My wife had the other two children in other parts of the mall, and we were in this city we hadn't been. We, we were a thousand, more than a thousand miles away from home, and uh, I somehow lost my daughter. And she was about two years old, and I lost her. Now, friends, I was in despair. Now, I was in despair over losing my daughter. Don't get me wrong. I didn't want to lose my daughter. I, I don't want to lose her. I didn't want to lose her. But I was more in despair of having to meet up with my wife. That was really the issue. That was my despair. Uh, have you ever been in despair over health concerns? 
and you know, don't know where to turn. Seems like one thing you try to take care of causes another issue. And there's all these, uh, these, these complicating and, and aggravating factors in your health. What about uh, your children and their issues? Listen, one of the things I used to believe was that you, you, have, you have children and, they, and, they, and you know, they're, they're 8, 10, 12 years old. And you say, oh, pretty soon they're going to be 18. And you know what? Hey, hey everything's going to be great. I just shipped them off. My wife and I had an agreement when our children were 18 that they would get a nice birthday party. They would get a bus ticket to anywhere in America they wanted to go in $50, and we would change our phone numbers. You know what? They keep calling. They keep sending emails. They keep finding us. We keep moving. It's just bizarre. Listen, have you ever been concerned over your children, your grandchildren? What about your finances in a time of crisis? Hey, every one of us has, you know, has had struggles financially. Have you ever been in despair when it relates to your relationships? And you how is this relationship ever going to uh, mature and grow? How is this relationship going to recover? The antidote, antidote for despair is believing God. Despair is the expected reaction. Despair is the understandable reaction. Despair may be the default reaction. That's what I always do. I always run like my hair is on fire. Despair may even be the acceptable reaction. But ultimately, despair is the reaction that keeps us in despair. The antidote for despair is to believe God. The antidote for despair is to say, God, I trust you. I trust you and you alone. I don't just trust in my faith or trust in, in some, some religious activity. I actually trust in the person of the sovereign of the universe who loves me, who knows me, who cares for me, who's there for me, who will respond to me. Believing is the antidote for despair. It is that which wards off despair. Listen to what it says in the New American Standard Version of the Bible in Psalm 27 and verse 13. It says, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired if I had not believed. The facts are, I did believe, therefore I didn't despair. The antidote for despair is believing. And so when I begin to say, God, I, I'm, I'm really feeling like this is a situation where I would normally despair, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to actually, I'm actually going to say words that come out of my mouth. And as the worship team sang this last song, they talked about that we have the authority that Christ has given us. And the words that come out of my mouth are so important as I confront despair. I say, despair, in the name of Jesus, I choose to reject you and I choose to accept what God says, that my God shall support all of my needs according to his riches and glory, that my children will rise up and call me blessed, that I will prevail in the land of darkness and disappointment. Listen to me, friends. I need to say some things that come out of my mouth that say, God, I choose to believe you. It's interesting. I would have despaired had I not believed, but the facts are the psalmist says, I believed. And it's interesting, he says, I would see the goodness of the Lord. Not that I would see something religious happen, or I'd have a good feeling, but I'd actually see God come in a powerful way. I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What's that mean, in the land of the living? The land where I live. Right where I live. You see, it's good for me sometimes to hear about what God's doing in another continent or another person's life or another situation that I know about. But I want you to know, the land where I live, God's going to move. In the land where I live, the Spirit of God is going to have His way. God's going to come and visit me in my place. And He's going to do for me what I can't do for myself. I would have despaired 
had I not believed. But I am believing, therefore I don't despair, and I am going to see God come to where I live. Sometimes we say tough times don't last, but tough people do. Biblically, tough times don't last. Believing believers do. Believers who believe, believers who know who they are in Jesus Christ, those kind of believers, they last. They prevail. I've been in ministry. I started preaching when I was 13 years old, just after the Bible was written. And so it was a, it's been a while. And, and um, I haven't preached a good sermon yet, but I've preached a lot of them. But I want you to know, listen to me, friends. I've seen a lot of people struggle. I've struggled, but I've seen a lot of people stumble in their walk with God. And much of it relates to the fact that they decided to no longer believe. They decided to no longer believe. And some people say, you know what? I can't believe. I, I just can't. Listen, that is a violation, and that is, a, it, that is contradictory to the Word of God. The Word of God says you can believe. And in fact, Jesus, it says re, he, re, he rebuked his own disciples for their stubborn refusal to believe. That means belief is not something that you're a victim of. That means it is of your own volition. You can believe or not believe. You can choose to believe the Lord. And so we choose to believe the Lord. And the scripture says in Revelation that they overcame the enemy by, by the blood of the Lamb and their word of their testimony. Now the word of the testimony is that which come out of their mouth. Listen, you overcome by declaring, I believe God. You overcome by declaring, God's going to intervene. You overcome by declaring, he's the healer of my body. You overcome by declaring, he's going to heal this broken relationship. You overcome by declaring that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That's the Jesus we serve. And you overcome by declaring it. You may not feel it, but you still declare it because it's true. Listen, on October 31st, 2017, it was the 500th anniversary of the reformation of the church that was, that was commenced by our friend Martin Luther. And uh, he basically said, we're going to live by faith and we're not going to live by, uh, just by man-made rules. And we're not going to live just by going through the rituals. We're going to live by a living faith. And he, and he had 95 points that he wanted to make. He called them his 95 theses. And the, and the door of Wittenberg in Germany, he, 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 he nails it to the door. And he says this. And of course, the, 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 the legend is, he says, uh, on this I stand. I say to you, we need another re reformation. And that reformation we need is a refor reformation of believing believers. We need a reformation of believers who say, I will believe God, no matter what, no matter what I see, no matter what comes my way. Listen, friends, let me just tell you this. I'd rather die with faith on my lips than live in despair. I'd rather die believing. I'd rather die saying Jesus is Lord. I'd rather die saying Jesus is my healer. I'd rather die saying Jesus is going to take care of my kids and my grandchildren and every generation till Jesus comes will serve the Lord. I'd rather die that way than live in despair. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, no, this is bad. That's bad. Listen, if I have to live to 125, to 120 years or 125 years in despair or die now in belief, I'll die now in belief saying my God prevails. My God prevails. Because I'm going to die in hope. I'm going to concede nothing. I'm going to declare that God's going to visit me in the land of the living. We're not denying trouble. 
But we are saying we are looking at this from a 30,000-foot view level. One of the good things about getting older is you have some perspective. You see things. I remember in 1982, I was 22 years old, and to spare you the math, that means I'm 60 this year. And uh, hey, I remember in, 1990, in 1982, I should say 1982, I was in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, across the harbor from uh, uh, Halifax, and it was on a Sunday night. This is back when the Christians had time to go to church on Sunday night. Uh, they, they didn't have Netflix. And, um, and so what we, we went to church, and it was the night in which... Uh, uh, Israel was invading southern Lebanon. And I remember one of the leaders of the church turned to us and said, this is it. This is the battle of Armageddon. This is the beginning. This is it. And of course, it looked like it was a fulfillment of, of, of an eschatological prophetic event. Having said that, we, now, 38 years later, I can tell you this wasn't it. Getting older gives you some perspective. When you're younger, you tend to be, be right up on things. As you get older, you have a 30,000-foot view. You're looking down on things. You can see things before they happen. You can see them as they happen. Then you can look ahead and say, ah, we've been through other things in the past. I'm an armchair historian of World War II. And I tell you, when you were in the middle of World War II and you were in Europe and you were in uh, places in Asia, you never thought it was going to end. You thought you were going to end before it did. But some perspective now says what? It did end. We got through it. And God helped us. What I know is this. We're not denying trouble. We're not saying trouble does not exist. We're saying that with trouble comes a big picture. It comes a mature picture. You're growing up. Listen to me. This is not a luxury to believe God. This is an indication of maturity to believe God. So, well, you know, those guys there, they, those guys, they, they got lots of faith. You know, they're just the kind of people that just have faith. I mean, you know, and, and it's almost like they're a special breed. Not one of us can do without this. I don't care what you face this week. I don't, care what, I don't care what phone call you get. I don't care what email you read. I don't care what situation. I don't care what you watch on TV. I want you to know that you are a man and a woman of faith. You can believe God, and the antidote to all that you see and all that you hear is, I believe the Lord. What's it say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, for our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The facts are, when... I got mugged last September. I did not feel like that was light and momentary. Um, I was very emotional. I was, you know, I was just, I was just upset. But you know, when I look back on it, 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 was a, it was a minor blip in my life. It took me months to get through all the various and sundry things I had to deal with, with all the cards that were in my pocket and all the things that had to be canceled and all the different arrangements and and, and, but yet when I was in the middle of it and when it was happening, I, I, thought, I thought they were going to kill me. I thought my life was over. But the scripture says that no matter what, compared to what's coming, what I'm going through now is light and momentary. The glory that's one day going to be mine, that which I'm going to experience in the future, the things that God is going to do and the great things he's going to cause to come to pass in my life, I want you to know, and in your life, makes what you're going through light and momentary. They're not going to last forever. 
and they're not that really that serious. The Apostle Paul preached in the day of Pentecost and that ushered in the first great move of God during the church age. And it's interesting from the King James Version, it says this, but Peter standing up with the 11 lifted up his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and listen to my words for these are not drunk as you suppose. They they were acting drunk. They're all speaking in different language, seeing it's the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he was basically referencing something that Joel said hundreds of years before. What did Joel say? In the last day, says the Lord, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even upon your servants, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit. And he says, he goes on to say, he says, and everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, this is the last day. If you want to say, man, where this is, how's this all going to end? I want you to know this. We're living in the last day. Have been for the last 2,000 years. We can have an expectation that God is going to pour out his spirit. And I believe there's a time coming in your life where you're going to look back and say, this is that. God promised me this two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. God promised me this and I didn't see it, but I kept believing. I kept pressing in. I kept calling on God. What did he do? He moved in one day and did that for which I've been praying for so long. I want you to know that God moves in suddenlies. You see, in the scripture, what you have biblically, and please understand this, biblically in scripture, you have all these high points of the miraculous and the supernatural. What we don't see is the deep valleys between. We don't see what I call the process. We see the power events. We see the events that that cause us to shout hallelujah. And you know what, friends? Those events are real, and we need to be encouraged by them. But sometimes there's a process that takes a year, two years, five years, ten years, and you say, where's God? How come it's not coming to pass? I want you to know that it's coming a day day in your life. Listen to me and listen to me good. Let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. Let this be a prophetic word to you that there's coming a day when you're going to say, this is that. This is that which God promised me. This is that. That which the Holy Spirit spoke to me about. This is that. It's coming to pass. God is answering my prayer. I was in despair for a while, but I began to believe. And what happened when I began to believe? God began to move in a powerful way. This is that. There's coming a day when you'll say, this is that which God spoke to me about. I choose to believe. Everything that God does is preceded by his word. And many times he'll drop something into our life. Right now, I pray that he's dropping a hope into your life. I pray right now he's dropping a word of faith into your life. I pray right now that the Spirit of God, wherever you're at right now, is speaking to you and he's dropping something into your life that you can say, five years from now, huh, it, was, it was five years ago on March 22nd, 2020, where God spoke to me in the midst of my despair. And you know what he did? He just brought it to pass. Maybe it'll be 10 years, maybe 18 months, whatever. Maybe it'll be a month, whatever it is. But I'm going to believe him until he brings it to pass because God spoke. I dealt with a family member two or three, four years ago now, and I remember God spoke clearly. I mean, you, you would not deny that this was God speaking. It had to be God. It could not have been made up. It could not have been just our own thoughts. It had to be God. It was so supernatural the way it came about. And yet, after that word came from the Holy Spirit, after we received that word, things got worse and worse. As we say in Canada, worser and worser. It just got worse. And I would say, as we discussed it, but we have God's word. And we chose to believe it. 
And I'm here to tell you, we choose to believe the Lord because it's the antidote for despair. I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the, the glory of God, the goodness of God in the land of the living. Mark 16 says what? That signs follow those who believe. It's interesting that signs do not follow those who do not believe. And some people say, well, I don't, I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe in uh, speaking in tongues. I don't believe in the supernatural. I don't believe that you drink any deadly poison. It shall not harm you. I, I don't believe that. Well, then that scripture is not for you. If, if, if you don't believe it, then that's not for you. So I choose to believe it. Therefore, I, I see it as for me. I see the supernatural as, as, as God moving on my behalf as for me. Why? Because I choose to believe it, that signs shall follow. I remember uh, when, when our son was uh, a, a, just, a, just a, 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 a boy, and he was uh, you know, 10 months old, 12 months old, 14 months, uh, 16 months, and, and he just had constant ear infections. You know, um, he, that tube, you know, that's in your ear. What's it called? The fallopian tube? No, I'm just kidding. And um, it's, it's terrible. You guys are... I know that the fallopian tube is something that's in a carburetor in the car. Anyway, so, so I remember, and the doctor said, listen, if he doesn't get better, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to put new tubes in. And it was going to be surgery and all this kind of deal. And, and we just didn't feel like that was the Lord's plan. And that day, we laid our hands on him, together with some leaders in the church, and since that day, he's never had an ear infection and never needed tubes. And it was just constant before that. I remember when I was, 20, I was 24, uh, 24 years old, maybe, in that area, and I, I was struggling with my knees, and both my knees were uh, going, and I was struggling, and sometimes had a cane, sometimes couldn't, um, uh, couldn't, couldn't walk, and, and sometimes I had to sit down to preach, et cetera, et cetera, and I, I remember going to a meeting one night, and there was a, a pastor there, and I didn't really like that pastor. I, I don't know. I, I, he, I, he, was, he was human and everything, I just, but I didn't like him. I don't know why. I, maybe, he was, maybe he cheered for the wrong hockey team. I don't know what his deal was, but anyway, I just didn't like him. And while we were there, he just looked down and he said, there's a, there's a young pastor right there who needs a miracle. Let's pray for him now. So he comes down off the platform, lays his hand on me. The guy I didn't like lays his hand on me, prays for me. And that night I put down my, put down my cane and I never picked up a cane since that day. Are you listening to me? The antidote for despair is belief. And it also can help you with relationships with pastors you don't like. I have a cousin my father's family, none served the Lord, only he. And he supernaturally was saved and delivered from, delivered from alcoholism and delivered from other things and, and, and by the power of God, but none of his family. And he died, my father died, wondering if, if any of his family would ever serve the Lord. But he continued to believe right up to the day he died. Well, he died four and a half years ago. And in, in the last four and a half years, my 70-year-old cousin, my 70-year-old cousin, who was in the Baha'i faith all of her life, came to Jesus. 70 years old, she comes to Jesus. What's the chance of a 70-year-old coming to Jesus? But not only that, she was a 70-year-old who came to Jesus, who got turned on. She began to believe. She became one of the worship leaders in her church. And a few months ago, she's leading worship in her church, takes a heart attack during the service. It has a real damper on the services when that happens. 
And, you know, it's just it's hard to preach. And how do you raise an offering around the paramedics? It's, it's awful. But here's the deal. She gets healed and touched that day, and she's back worshiping the Lord, leading in worship at her church. Listen, if God can save a 70-year-old Baha'i in a family where nobody's saved except one, he can save your family. He can minister in your home. He can do things for you that otherwise could not be done. Let me tell you about my, my, um, my seminary professor. We are taking this course in Toronto on, on healing and deliverance. And we're standing there on the first day of the class, and, and there's only seven of us in the class, and there's eight of us standing there. So one of us had to be the professor, but nobody knew who the professor was because none of us knew each other. And finally, this guy steps out, like, and we're all just standing around chatting. And finally, this guy who looks like Chris Farley, I guess I, I don't really know much about, but he's like an actor. And anyway, they said he looks like Chris Farley. So anyway, and he had that groovy, you know, <laughs> let's party look. And, um, and so he's, he steps out and says, well, we've got to begin the class. And so he's teaching, you know, a graduate-level course, a seminary-level course on uh, healing and deliverance. And, and, uh, and it, it, it was very powerful and, 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 and wonderful. And he tells us this story. He tells us this story about his father, the only father he really ever knew. It wasn't really his biological father, but since he was two years old. And uh, his father was the pastor. His father is still, and was still at that time, his pastor. And, um, and he said, but about five years before that, his father was dying. Everybody knew his father was dying. His father was in the hospital and was coming to the end of his life. The, father, the family was all gathered around. They were all ready to, to say goodbye to dad. And it was you know, just a fait accompli. It was going to happen. No, there was no question about it. Nobody was saying, oh, well, maybe it's not going to happen. Or maybe they're going to be able to do this emergency surgery. No, his father was leaving this life and going into the next. But some young men in the church who had been saved, who had been ministered to by the power of God, and they had been delivered, who knew of their father's their their pastor's ministry and this professor's father's ministry and said, can we come pray for pastor? We just believe God wants us to pray for pastor. Well, these guys were praying for everybody in town, you know, and they were just new believers and they just believed, strange, but they believed. And, and so what they did was they started, to, they started to kind of ask the family, would you let us come and pray for our pastor? And the family was going, well, what do we do? You know, if we, if we, if we let them come and then dad dies, that's going to hurt their faith. But if we don't let them come, then how, you know, we're kind of mean. And, and they said, so finally they said, well, let's let them come. So they're in the room. The family's in the room. And at the appointed time, these guys are supposed to show up. And it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon or whatever time it was. They hear ding, way down the hallway. The elevator door's open. Ding. Open the door. Well, bless God, we're going to go pray for our pastor. And they're going, oh, dear Lord. And so they were just like, oh, man. And they were all the way down the hall shouting. And, you know, they're going like, they don't have any sensitivity. didn't have any spiritual decorum. You know, didn't they know that God wasn't deaf? They didn't need to yell. And... But they just kept going. And they got down to the home. So what they said was, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We'll leave you to pray for dad and we'll come back. I guess they didn't want to be associated with you. I don't know what the deal was. But they, they left them. And so these guys, they, and they said, as soon as we left the room, we could hear them praying. God, heal our father. God, heal our pastor. God, touch him. Minister to him. Blah, blah, blah. So a few minutes later, these boys were done. Away they went. Family all went back in and kept their vigil. And they kept their vigil for four days until the pastor got up out of that bed and walked home and went back to his pulpit and continued to preach the gospel. I'm here to tell you that we believe. And believing is the antidote for despair. 
Can I tell you one other story? I want to tell you about Aunt Fanny Lack, and I, I won't take long. I'll just tell you this because it's such an amazing story. Aunt Fanny Lack is a Hoopa, was a Hoopa Indian in California. In, 19, in the 19, late 1920s, they began to write about her. She was written about in Pentecostal magazines, but also in secular media. She was a very, very short person, but the, her shortness was complicated by the fact that she was terribly bow-legged, and as she got older, she got shorter and shorter, and she was only in, in the lower four foots. She smoked. She was a drinker. And the missionaries were coming to that area, and it was powerful what God was doing, and wonderful things were happening, but she didn't believe and didn't want to believe. But one day, they invited her to come to a water baptismal meeting. And those days they were outdoors and it was in a river and uh, they baptized a bunch of people and the pastor prayed and preached and all that. And then he said, is there anybody here who would like to give their life to Jesus today? And the Spirit of God was dealing in Aunt Fanny Lack and she had heard all these testimonies of what God did. And so she, that day, lifted her hand and they brought her to the front and they just prayed with her and they said, well, would you like to be water baptized? She says, sure. And so they took her out into that cold water and it was a, it was a rushing river, kind of not a rushing, river but a river kind of going by and obviously it had some flow to it and and they baptized her and they kind of let her go for a second and she floated down the river and they kind of had to splash 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 and go and grab her and 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 she was kind of lost in the presence of the lord and they laid her on a on a on a sandbar and on that sandbar she began to speak in a language she never studied or learned she she was holy spirit baptized that day so she saved She's water baptized. She is now Holy Spirit baptized that day. Now, get this. Not only that, when she got up from her uh, being at that, on that sandbar, her legs were perfectly straight. And she was legally, I always wonder what it's like to be illegally, but she was legally blind at that time, and she was completely healed in her eyes. Saved, water baptized, Holy Spirit baptized, healed in her legs, and healed in her eyes all at once. Aunt Fanny Lack, you can read about her. You can Google her name. You can find out about her. And what's interesting about Aunt Fanny Lack is that then for the rest of her life, she went from village to village walking and, and, and telling others about Jesus. And she became this kind of folk hero. She walked from village to village telling others about Jesus among the Hoopa Indians. Oh, there's one thing I didn't tell you, and it's this. That the day she was saved and water baptized, Holy Spirit baptized, healed in her legs and healed in her eyes, that day she was at that time 100 years old. Somebody was praying for Aunt Fanny Lack. And this is that. This is that which God promised. Somebody says, hold it. When they get to be when, they, when the kids get to be 20 or 25, I just say, well, there's nothing we can do about it. They're probably never going to serve God. When they get to be 30, listen, God saved my 70-year-old Baha'i cousin. God saved Aunt Fanny Lack at 100 years old. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? They cynically asked it in Psalm 78. And I respond, yes, he can furnish a table in our wilderness. And the greatest, the greatest antidote to despair is belief. So, Father, I believe you. I choose to believe you. I say it over and over again, Father, I believe you. I say it over and over again, Jesus, I believe you. I look at that situation, I say, Jesus, I believe you. I consume God's word. I read it. 
I reread it. I keep reading it two, three, four, five, six chapters a day. And I tell my story. I told a bunch of stories today. You tell your story. You keep telling. I said, well, I've already told my story once. Keep telling over and over. Yeah, I've told my kids it once. Man, tell your kids every two or three months what God God, God did for you. Make it a part of your family and make it a part of your lore. I'm a believing believer. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus right now, I pray for those who are watching via live stream and wherever they are, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, you'd move by your spirit. You'd cause us to believe like we've never believed before. Father, let there be a reformation, not unlike the reformation that took place 500 years ago. We say one more time, God, move through this nation. Let there be another great awakening. Thank you for Community Worship Center. Thank you for Pastor Keith Deal. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We say one more time, God, move by your spirit. And unto him be glory in the church, both now and forevermore. Thanks, folks.